follow. Um, so we were at Alpha yesterday having an amazing time there ministering to the people. They're having a jaw there, eh? Um, so they are really having a good time. Um, but we are really excited for what God's been doing um, at Alpha. And I think it's amazing to see that in everything he still works, you know. Um, and this, yeah, there's just, yo, I can talk whole whole day about that, but it's been amazing. And Asha Vez said there was something really special also about Friday. Um, we connected with the classics and the ladies ministry on Friday, and I must tell you, it was something special. It really was. We, um, Although, you guys back in the day had weird stuff. Um, it was like, yo, it was horrible, man. Um, but just the stories behind everything, it was really amazing. And um, I think our young people could see a side to people that they didn't even know. And I think that was the amazing part. So I'm looking forward to doing more. Um, we are multi-generational here, and that's what we do. So um, please look forward to more of those opportunities and those moments. I think is really going to be good. Um, and then lastly, Didi says hi. Um, he was doing something, something golf, and I was just like, whatever, I'm <laughs> over him. Um, but he does in these regards. Um, apparently today he's also playing golf. Um, the last time I checked, I thought he went for work, <laughs> but we shall have a meeting later about that. But he sends his regard, and also Tim, um, <laughs> you know Tim, I was looking at him last night at Alpha, and as soon as everything was done, he went to sleep. <laughs> what a guy. Um, but yeah, so he also sends his regards and I'm looking forward to see you guys. And also just, we won't be having Bible school tonight. Um, so I thought, you know what? I might as well use this opportunity <laughs> where we're going to have some uh, teaching and a sermon all together in one. So if you are prepared, um, we will be here until about 12, uh, depending on how things go, make up for lost times, um, but don't worry, we're going to have fun and I will give you a coffee break at least, right? Um, but we'll be here for that time um, today, but just, I think, bear with me today, um, even during worship, um, it was so good. Um, one of the things I do want to encourage you, um, a lot of the times we always believe that in order to see God move, things need to happen, um, but the beauty is also experiencing God in the stillness that he has. Um, and that was was special this morning, is that in the stillness of God, we're able to experience the fullness of him this morning. Um, and I really hope that even today, um, what I've prepared, I think it's going to tie in so well. But you have to bear with me this morning, though, because there's two things that I'm going to do this morning. And I'm going to give you the heads up so that you can journey with me. Um, and as we close, we're going to put everything together but I want to encourage you, man. We're going to do something. And then there's going to be this pause. And then I'm going to need you to come back there. And then I need you to grab something that you've got. Um, so journey with me today. Um, and I pray that even as we go through this, that you will experience something new. And you will get to encounter God in a brand new way this morning. That's really been my prayer um, this morning. So as I said, a bit of teaching but also a bit of sermoning, um, if I can say that. And then um, also there's a bit of funny words, but we'll go through that as well together. But can we pray? And then um, we'll do this. So Lord, um, thank you that you are in everything. Thank you that you are the center of all that we do. And I just pray and ask this morning that your will be done here this morning. In your name, amen. So, um, if you haven't been journeying with us um, for the past few weeks, um, last week Tim spoke um, about how we mature in Christ, basically. And um, he was speaking that there is revelation, there is prophecy, and then he was also saying that growing in Christ 
is kind of the ultimate goal of everything that we do. Um, and becoming more and more like him. Um, and it really had me thinking this past week, um, especially after Sunday. When I'm thinking of something like that, what does it mean? And then it hit me. What does it actually mean to be a disciple then of him? And really, that's what I want to tie in today. Um, I want to dive into this because I think there's a misperception of what discipleship is. And that's what we're strong about here um, at the Father's house. But at the same time, I think we don't understand or we haven't really seen yet the power in the discipleship part or the element um, of walking with Jesus. So um, I've got, and I've been looking this whole week, and I've been like researching a whole lot of stuff, but I want to, again, quickly turn, if you do have your Bibles, we're going to go to Colossians 1. Um, we're going to read from verse 3, and I do want to say the following. We're going to read this, we're going to then pause, and then I'm going to teach you something, and then we're going to come back to the Scripture, and then we're going to look at it again. Um, because I promise you, it's going to change your perspective. So if you are there, um, Colossians 1, and we're going to read from verse 3. Um, I'm not going to give you background context just yet. Um, we'll go there again, but oh, here's some very awesome stuff in here. So it says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love you have for God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I just want to say that over the past few weeks, time and time, you've been seeing how we've been advancing the kingdom of God in what we've been doing. And more and more, we've been learning about the love and hope we have for people. Um, so it's just really interesting to see as we read this that there is always a growth involved. There's always a maturity involved. Um, verse 7, you've learned it from Ephesus, the dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. I do want you to see a lot of the words, it's for you, for you, like this, and there's a discipleship thing going on here, which we'll also get into. So, verse 9, um, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continuously ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Again, that element of always growing and growing being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. I want you to take note of that there as well. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of the light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. I just want to 
insert here quickly. This is imagery coming from Genesis and Exodus, right? All put together in this poem. For in him all things were created, heaven, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, which is the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God has, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you to by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from acquisition. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under Paul, under heaven, sorry, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And this is really where I do want to focus the last bit of this chapter. Now I rejoice in that I am suffering for you, and I will fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by commission, by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the, the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery which Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim abonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I sing the content with all the energy Christ gives so powerfully works in me. I know a lot, right? Um, it is a lot. It is a lot. I do know. But like I said, it's all going to make sense in a bit if you pause. So I want you to pause there and we're going to come back to that whole scripture because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some insight and I'm going to show you how different that scripture will look based on context given and how the context is going to change the way we read and apply that portion of scripture. So, quick background, right? Um, in Galilee, all right, they, they were doing some research, studying, um, and if you've doing like the Bible study with us, interpreting the Bible um, with Mike, the first Bible school, and now where we are, the kingdom of God, you'd have learned there's certain things that you had to do. You had to learn the context. You had to look at the culture. You had to look at the norms that was happening there. And then you also had to give it context in today. So um, throughout all this, I've been reading and reading. And there's a section and there's a portion of scripture that I was focusing on. So the people of Galilee back then were considered to be the most religious Jews in the world at the time of Jesus, right? They were more educated in the Bible and its application. So... Each community 
would hire a teacher, and this teacher would be called a rabbi. Right? So the local synagogue had this rabbi, and he was responsible for the education of the young people. What was really interesting about this rabbi, though, in the synagogue, and I want you to take note, he had no special authority in the synagogue itself. That's quite important to also read. So there was this whole educational process that um, the Jewish boys had to go through, some of them. And um, so I was looking to that, and I was going like, hmm, that's interesting. So if you don't know, um, I myself am in education. Um, so obviously, when I started reading this, I was like, ooh, now you have me, right? Um, and then I was hooked, and then I was locked in, and I was like, let me see if I can get biblical ways of to do school, man. You know, and then hopefully from there, <laughs> he can outline stuff. But at five, and I'm going to give you a bit of a timeline of how these things work. At five years old, these young boys were considered fit to learn scripture. And all that they did, they learned scripture. That was not going to work for schooling, but <laughs> I think it would work really well. So they, their job and what they did was they learned scripture. At about 10 it would slightly change. They would still learn scripture, but there would also be interpretation, and then they need to start reciting the scripture. Interesting take as well. So five years of learning the Torah. Hectic, eh? Imagine what you can do in five years, right? Um, and that's all that they did, which also makes sense at later stage why these guys were always grounded and rooted in the word. Isn't it so? From a young age, they won't be able to swerve. At 13, they would participate in the, in the first Passover, a ceremony that we know today in the Jewish culture as a bar mitzvah, right? Um, from there, and this is where it got really interesting, the best students, so everyone made it till there, and then some of them learned the family trade, and then the boys ended up doing the trade of the father, and the girls ended up helping the household. But some of them, though, and when I was doing some research, they actually used the word, some of the best students actually continued the studies. So from learning the Torah, all of a sudden, they started learning the prophets, the writings of the prophets, what they were saying, what is to come. And all of a sudden, they started learning all of that with a bit of application and interpretation. Remember, from 13 and up. And this went on for a long time, and then there is a stage throughout that time where the student then actually asked the rabbi if the student would be able to follow the rabbi. And then we're going to get into something really interesting there, but um, at 30, at the age of 30 more or less, they were then given the authority to teach others. So it's very interesting to see when you look at the timeline because that timeline, by the way, when I was looking at it, it had the similar timeline or the way or the upbringing of what Jesus did. So he spent time in the temple. He was learning. He learned his father's trade. He spent time um, with people, learning, encouraging, um, interpretation, orals, learning the prophets. And then at 30, more or less, he starts ministry. And he becomes the teacher. Very interesting. 
So um, a few of the students, as I said, and these were outstanding students, they sought permission to study with a famous rabbi. Once they had the permission, they left home, and they went where the rabbi went to learn. Again, an interesting take on that as well. Um, so these students then were called the Talmudin, Talmudin, something like that, Talmudin, <laughs> sounded like that. But translated, these actually means disciples. So interesting you would see, and this is in the Hebrew for those of you, um, I was thinking about this long and hard because to me, a student is someone at school that does something. But here they're saying that a student in the context of a rabbi is actually a disciple. And then I thought, but is there a difference between the two really? Because why would the one be disciple and why would the one be student? Um, and then Mike has taught us, Yo, you have to look at the literal meaning, the figurative meaning, and all those stuff. So I did, Mike. <laughs> I did. Um, I went through that, and I did. But before I get you and I tell you what I came, what I came up with and saw, I want to go through this quickly. I want to give context quickly into the discipleship and the students. And I want to focus slightly on this. Again, I'm doing this as a bit of teaching, because I think the sermon part is going to be this short, right? <laughs> but the teaching to help you understand um, what revelation comes from this and how we look to Jesus is going to change everything. So the decision to follow a rabbi, you basically had to give total commitment and devotion. That's really what it was. So you had to spend time listening to this rabbi, you had to observe. You also had to understand the scripture and how to put it into practice. And this you all learned from the rabbi. So most students sought out the rabbi they wished to follow. So some, what is beauty about that is there they chose who they'd like to follow. So if a student wanted to study a rabbi, he would ask that rabbi, can I follow you? And here's the interesting part though the rabbi would consider the student's potential to become like him. And if he saw the potential, he would say yes. So rejection started way back then already, <laughs> if you think about it like that. Because if the rabbi didn't see the potential, it was a no. Also very interesting, right? It goes further, and as I was looking at it more, Sometimes a rabbi, though, would invite someone to come and follow me. And the reason for that is because the rabbi believed that there was such potential in the disciple and his ability and commitment to be like him that obviously the rabbi would have been seen as good, worthy, and as doing great. So either intention wasn't really about the change of heart for the person. Both intention was actually just how they could get something in return. That's really what it was about. So I think today the message is crucial because even though 
we aren't saying, hey, we want to follow a person, a person on the pulpit. We are saying, though, that we want to follow Jesus. So he's our ultimate rabbi. But yes, the interesting thing, again, that I want to get you, I'm saying interesting thing because, yo, when I was doing this this week, eh, whew, whew, light bulbs, light bulbs, and more light bulbs and more light bulbs. Guys, you must read your Bible, man. <laughs> it's awesome if you read your Bible. There's so much into it, man. So I'm going to read what I've written down here because I won't be able to paraphrase this. But it gives us this. Um, Jesus calls us to be his disciples. He can instruct, empower, fill us with his spirit so that we can be like him in his actions. So Jesus calls us his disciples. Here's the amazing part about this. And, what, and I want to get into this. So the story is the rabbis here, you grew up in the teaching methods and ways, and at the end, you decide, hey, rabbi, I want to follow you. Or the rabbi's like, hey, you should follow me. <laughs> All right? And then we get some. Interesting dynamic because Jesus does it totally opposite. So when he reaches 30 and he becomes the teacher to teach, the first thing he does, so I've listed eight differences in this whole story. You see, the student teaches their own, um, chooses their own teacher, yet Jesus chose the disciples. So automatically, what's beautiful about that is that we don't necessarily choose him, but he always chooses us. That's the first amazing thing. Um, you can find reference to that in John um, 15 and even in Luke 9. The second difference I find out is that a student teach, uh, chooses a rabbi based on the knowledge of the Torah. So the knowledge that he has. See, the, and I, I shouldn't say this out loud, but you my train of thought before I process it though. If that is the case, a person is only able to point you to Jesus with the amount of revelation they have received. That was the teacher, which is interesting because Jesus does it again in contrast. He allows his disciples to come like him in his fullness. And I thought, wow, that's also something different to look at because not only, ah, let me rephrase that, not only do we look at people on stage and go, oh, that's what we want, thank you, that's all that we need. We're saying, if you look to Jesus, you can experience fullness and not bits. So that's really interesting. Um, again, the third difference I found is that being a disciple through a rabbi, it's basically very much transactional. It was an ends to a mean. And the goal was ultimately that that person becomes a rabbi. Again, Jesus does it in contrast. He says that I'm choosing you for the fulfillment of the destiny that you have. And not only that, but it's a process that he's working through. And I thought that was also beautiful. 
Another difference I found is that disciples of the rabbis, they were just students and nothing more. That's it. Yet, disciples of Jesus became almost servants obeying him everything. It's as though they entered, and this is the key, into a personal relationship with him, which I thought was another amazing thing. And then another difference I found as I was reading this is that the disciples of the rabbis always looked, and this might be a tough one, for the former glory or things of the past. But Jesus spoke about the coming of a kingdom and the end. That really, that was powerful to me as well. Another difference I found is that the disciples of rabbis, they ended up 613 laws, 613 laws they had to follow. And it was of utmost importance that they follow it to the T. And then God comes and he's like, but listen, I want obedience more than the law. A total change again. Then there's another thing I found out. That the rabbis, they separated non-Jews and others that were unclean. And Jesus taught that you should love your neighbor as equal. Irrespective of whether that person is a Jew or not. Then I was like, your Lord, that's a lot of deep stuff there, but what is the point of all of that? A student only gets the knowledge to pass the grade or what the teacher wants them to know. But with a disciple, there's life and life to the full man, which is totally different. So, what I love about this story and about knowing what the idea and the picture behind the rabbi is, because you see, Jesus displays it in his own life so that we can be just like that. So technically, all of us are disciples of him. Therefore, we need to do what? Go and make disciples of others. So, there's a stirring that has been happening over the past few weeks here at the Father's house, I believe. And a lot of that stirring, um, if you look what's happening, if you hear what's happening, is that it's almost as though God is doing a new thing. But we think it's new, but it's as almost as though he's resetting what his heart goal is. And the heart goal is very simple. Look to me. Follow me. So I've actually entitled today's sermon, The Centrality of Christ. Follow me. For two reasons. Number one is our goal, whether we have revelation, prophetic word, or anything like that, should always point us to who, who Jesus is. Simply. If we cannot test anything to what God says and does, then it's out. So I love what Tim even said last week. It's like even what we say on the pulpit is what you need to go and test. You need to go and read. Because at the end of the day, you are the disciple. So you need to do the following. 
spend time with him. Learn the scriptures. Ask. Because as part of your journey as a disciple, that is what you're doing. Another thing that really stood out, and now I'm going to come back to the Colossians story, right? And I'm going to give you some context here quickly. Because knowing that the idea that Jesus brings about being a rabbi or a teacher is actually a model of discipleship. That's what he's actually saying. He's modeling discipleship. And sometimes we don't think it's true or we don't think it's real. And this is what I love about one um, Colossians 1. Because here is a very good example of how someone who was being discipled by Jesus discipled someone else. And then you're going to see that they are actually discipling someone else. So Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, right? Context quickly. The guy's in church. I'm in church. He's not in church. <laughs> he's writing to the church. But he's in jail. And the reason why he's in jail because he went around like, hey, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And then you know what happened then, right? So he's in there. And the beauty of it is that while he's in there, he's discipling. This guy, hey? <laughs> Taking it up a level. Um, another thing that we also get to notice is that, and I don't know if you guys know this, but in Acts, um, I read Acts about a few weeks ago, and it's in Acts 26, I think that it's more or less found there. But Paul actually invited, I wrote this down here, the Roman, gov the Roman governor to actually disciple him. What a guy, hey? Like, he invites the Roman governor in to be discipled, and it actually says to be like him. And I thought, yo, this guy, ballsy, hey? But um, he also taught young men. So one of my favorite portions of scripture reading is the book of Timothy. Um, and one of the reasons is when I was a youth member still, all right, not too long ago, um, when I was a youth member, I remember how I was looking for someone in the Bible that was just young and fully after Jesus, man. Like someone who went all out. And then I came across the book of Timothy. And Timothy, at that time, was extremely young. He was still in his teens. The guy led a church. The guy was, say, the guy was out ministering. He was just doing the most. And ever since then, it just shifted everything in my life. Because then I realized, oh, someone young like me can be sold out for God, which makes sense knowing what the educational upbringing was about. Because being young, we are taught in Scripture. But before I get sidetracked here, um, so Paul here, he teaches people how to imitate Jesus in everything. And that's his ultimate goal. He looks at those in authority. He looks at those um, that are around him. And he even looks at people that weren't necessary in his circle. So one of the disciples that he had was actually running the church in Colossians. So what is beautiful about this picture is that his disciple comes to him, visits him in church, and he gives updates. Still, hey, this is how the church is doing. This is how things are going. And then he shares that currently where they're at, culturally, people are turning away where we are at right now. 
So he goes to Paul and he says, hey, dude, the church is great, but we are turning away from God because of cultural influences. So what do we do? An amazing thing is that Paul then takes time, prays about it, and writes a letter. This guy and his letter writing, right? <laughs> so he writes a letter addressed to the disciple, but actually not. It's addressed to the church. What I find beautiful about this picture is that Paul can discern because of intimate relationship with God what and how he needs to encourage a church he's never met, a church he's not leading, and a church that he has no physical interaction with apart from his disciple. So Paul starts writing this letter, and that's the letter that we read, 1 um, Colossians. He opens up with two prayers, and again, I want to show you the model of discipleship that this guy does. So Jesus teaches them a certain way. There's a lot of things about prayer, seeking him, rooting in him. Paul opens up with two prayers, and the first prayer he does is he gives thanks to God that the people have been so faithful. And then he says, and also the love they have for God and the hope that they have for the new creation to come. So to me, Paul is saying that there is always a progression of our journey. And the first thing he does is he gives thanks for that. The second thing he does is that he, the prayer that he gives him is that they would grow in wisdom and understanding of who God is. So before he even gives, he quotes here, advice, his prayer is, Lord, let them grow in wisdom and understanding of who you are. Always pointing back to Christ. So I'm going to end off with something that I think and again, I do want to say that the intention today was to really give you not only the sermon of note, but the teaching, because my encouragement today is that you would walk out of here with a new perspective of what it means to be a disciple. We've made those choices many times before. We've said, I want to follow, I want to follow, but what does it look like? That is really the question. And that's one of the questions that I've been asking um, since last week. It's like, all these things are happening, all these things are happening, but Lord, what does it look like? So, a discipleship relationship with Jesus, please note, it looks something like this, right? Firstly, he chose you. And that's something that you need to understand. The second thing is that you will therefore live by his teachings. So you need to make sure that you are rooted in word. You need to make sure that you are studying. That's why things like Bible school are important. Um, learning how to read the Bible, the context of the Bible, all of those things are important. You then need to imitate his actions. So, Reading what God does, listening to what he's doing, then you actually need to go and do. And I think this is the hard part for some of us because a lot of us feel like, oh, does that mean it's missionary work? 
Does that mean I must become a pastor? No. It simply means that when you're in your office space, what is God telling you to do? Okay, now go do that. If it's praying for someone, pray for someone. If it's making coffee for someone, go and make coffee for someone. If it's picking up after someone, hey, pick up after someone. You see, doing and imitating Jesus' actions sometimes is very, like, it's confusing, man. Because, and I say this, um, here we are, I say this with heart, because it's something that we necessarily don't want to do. You know? It's like, I know this is right, but like, uh, uh, must I? That's the thing. And the, the last thing I also want is that everything else becomes secondary in terms of the relationship we have with God. You see the key difference between a student of a rabbi and a disciple of Jesus is that there was an intimate relationship between the two. And that's what I love. So, my encouragement to you is, we need to know the Word of God. We need to study it. We also need to know how to interpret it really well. You must be passionate in your devotion to the Word of God and His example. And then, you need to strive for relationships with others so that they will observe they will seek and they will imitate your love for God, your devotion for God. And the word that I use is like living a Jesus lifestyle. That's what it's about. So my encouragement and my challenge, and it's more a challenge than what it is an encouragement today, is do you consider yourself to be a disciple of Jesus? If yes, what are you doing about it? Are you spending time in the Word? Because that's key. Are you looking for the interpretations? Are you living out what His actions and His ways? And if not, and you're like, hey, I'm not at that level, this is the encouragement part. He's actually calling you, come, follow me. And what I love about that is because we've learned when a rabbi comes to you and says, hey, come follow me, he sees the potential. And he wants you to experience that in the full. So, can I pray with us quickly? Lord, you are at the sense of everything that we do. So today, I just pray and ask that that you would give us the boldness to run to you, Lord Father. Give us the courage to put our God down so that we are able to just fall at your feet, Lord Father God. This morning we've learned that even in the stillness you move, Lord Father God.
So I pray and I ask right now that even in this stillness, that you would move. That you would be. And that we are able to follow you. I pray that we experience you in fullness this week, Lord Father God. We know that there is a process, and Lord, we submit that process to you, Lord Father God. Not only do we want to grow more and more in you and like you, Lord Father God, we choose to be your disciple. We choose to follow you, Lord Father God. Our flesh may be weak, Lord, but you are strong. So this week, Lord, give us moments where we're able to experience you. May this week challenge us to be rooted in your word. May this week be a week where we are able to just imitate you in everything, Lord Father God. Have your way in this place this morning. Do for us, Lord, <laughs> what no rabbi can do, Lord Father God. We don't just want to pass. We want to live out our passions, our destinies, Lord. So we come before you and we say, here we are, Lord. We follow you. Let the old things not keep us from experiencing the new, Lord Father God. And more importantly, Lord Father God, may we be disciples to family, to friends, and ultimately let everything we do and say point to who you are, Lord Father God. I pray and ask this in your name. Amen.